So each evening at this time, uh, we'll have a Dharma talk. And uh, it's my privilege to give a talk tonight. I'll talk uh, about things I love to talk about, which is what happens on a retreat, what we do here, and why we do it. Uh, So as Dory uh, mentioned earlier today, we've spent today arriving here. And uh, we've come from many different places. We've come from many different types of lives. And in coming to this space, <clears throat> we're sharing uh, a lot. Uh, a lot of silence. Uh, we're sharing a schedule. Um, we have a pretty highly structured life here. And this raises a puzzle uh, insofar as uh, one reason for thinking about why we do this is that, as Deborah said last night, uh, we each want to come home. And the puzzle is, you know, how would, you know, following such a tight schedule, living in silence, and so forth, contribute to my coming home, to my being who I am. Uh, for me, this sort of space is um, a sort of um, a radical environment, as I said last night, because we each have this permission to connect with our own experience without any filtering from other people. So um, what is the connection between the schedule, the seclusion, the silence, the solitude, the fairly intense structure and this radical connection with one's own self. So one feature of our life together is the precepts, uh, basic agreements about respecting life, respecting property, for this week, not cultivating sexual energy, uh, you know, maintaining silence as best we can. Uh, by the way, um, I heard that some roommates didn't have a chance to talk with each other. And so if you need to negotiate or work out something with your roommate, you can have a little talk. So it really, uh, I did hear that. Um, <clears throat> so the silence is not a magic spell. It's, uh, it, it contributes to uh, this space of, 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 it contributes to what we're doing and I'll talk about why. Likewise, not using intoxicants or drugs here um, is also creating a field Uh, that really structures uh, something amazing for each of us. So one feature of our life together, simply in respecting these precepts, is that to some extent we are going against habits, normal habits, normal conditioned responses to things, And it gives us practice in simply paying attention to our actions. And this is good practice for um, going back into our ordinary lives when we do next week. The Dalai Lama says we have to pay attention to our actions. There's no other 
foundation for good effects in meditation. We should resolve to help. But if not necessarily helping, at least not hurting. And one thing we can notice even after one day of living in this environment is that there is a certain joy and satisfaction in knowing that we probably haven't hurt anyone today. We might have in some way, but the careful attention that we're giving to our behavior and the sort of seclusion that we're offering ourselves. Um, means that we probably haven't hurt anyone. And in respecting our own intentions and actions, in paying attention to them with a question in mind, is it useful, is it good, is it harmful, is it bad? Uh, Will it help me, will it help others, will it hurt me, will it hurt others? paying attention to our own desires and intentions and actions with those sorts of questions in mind, you know, um, can be a source of joy. And so we can practice that here. So that's a framework for for what we're doing. Um, In our meditation, We're practicing some simple methods. The simplicity of these methods uh, is really important to see and understand. Getting better at this does not mean getting more conceptually sophisticated or mastering some more and more complex task. Uh, Getting better at this is getting more skillful at letting it be simpler. Uh, And so, what are we doing? One part of what we've been doing is, in the meditation, is connecting our attention with something relatively neutral or somewhat pleasant in our experience. And so, body sensations, when they are relatively neutral, meaning not too painful, uh, are good objects of consciousness to focus on. And the reason we focus on a relatively neutral object is that making this connection with something real in our experience that is relatively neutral the mind and the heart naturally become calmer, more peaceful, more clear, more stable. And so we never have to struggle to calm down. In a moment when we may feel the need to be calmer, we can simply find something in our experience that's relatively neutral, make the connection, and sustain the attention with it. And we're practicing that here. So there are dozens of objects that can be used for this purpose. The sensations connected with breathing are fairly widely used. It's pretty good for most people, but not necessarily for everyone. Uh, the, The question there is, you know, is it a fairly neutral focus for my attention, meaning not too stimulating, not bringing um, uh, about, you know, aversion or fear or anything like that. So it's a a fact about human beings that connecting our attention with something relatively neutral in our experience, sustaining the attention for a while, our minds naturally become calmer, more clear, more stable. And we experience this as good. Uh, and so this connection with the neutral, when we're doing the sitting meditation, uh, bless you, 
we are connecting with the breath or other bodily sensations. We also might connect with the ambient sounds. Uh, In the walking, standing and walking, connecting with the feel of the body, the sensations in the feet. The chikung can have this calming effect also, insofar as we're bringing our attention into the body. Um, so th- this is a really uh, big deal. This part of ourselves, this way of being, it still surprises me in a way after almost 30 years of practicing. I started when I was a graduate student in philosophy and uh, was, was surprised that turning attention to something relatively neutral, meaning it wasn't going to be something that I was tracking normally. Bringing attention, sustaining the attention for a while naturally brought calm, clarity, stability, peace. And so that's the reason that we give that emphasis to finding that connection with the breath, say, or with the sensations in the feet and standing and walking. And this is something you definitely can get a taste of yourself. So we don't have to get calm in advance so that we can begin doing this. We start where we are. Um, There can be that kind of idea that, okay, I need to calm down and then I can meditate. So we're not needing to do that. The calming down comes as we meditate and as we keep practicing. We, um, <clears throat> we're not performing. And so the, the skill that we develop here is, is different from skills that can be evaluated by an external observer. So for instance, in doing the walking, meditation with other people around, you know, we will notice other people and we'll notice being noticed and and so forth. But the activity itself is so much simpler than putting on the right sort of performance. We're just tuning into our own experience, the felt experience, these very ordinary, humble sensations in the feet and lower legs. What, what could be humbler than the sensations in the feet? I can remember when I started teaching college students to, in the meditation class, and uh, I'd have them do walking meditation in this building, and um, it's like, wow, am I really doing this? These college kids walking around slow, Uh, But, uh, you know, I was really doing it, (laughs) and it works. It's a really great practice, Uh, just connecting with these very ordinary sensations. So we're not pretending. We don't have to let a certain point, okay, now I will pretend I'm peaceful. Uh, see, we're not posing. We're not doing a lot of pee things. We're not performing, posing, pretending. Um, actually making the connection with something neutral is pretty easy. You know, uh, it may take a little while for you to 
kind of find what is the best place to focus. So we talk about tuning into the sensations in the abdomen or in the chest or at the nose, if you're connecting with the breath. And so you may want to experiment a little bit there and, and so forth. But actually finding some sensations is pretty easy. Uh, where the difficulty comes in actually practicing here is that uh, you know our attention, as you know, will wander away. So we'll begin mulling something over, worrying about something, planning, thinking, and so forth. As Dory said this morning, our normal mind will wander. Normal minds wander. Our minds are always on the lookout for something more stimulating. Uh, we are members of a species that has evolved with the capacity to imagine the future, evaluate alternative possible futures, decide on one of them is better or worse, formulate plans, carry out those plans, act. After we act, we are capable of rejoicing in what we did or feeling remorse, regret, self-recrimination. Moreover, we are social. Uh, we are aware of others similar to us in these same capacities and we are affected by what they do not only by what they do, but what they think. We can imagine what they might think, what they might be thinking right now about us. We imagine what they might be imagining. We are thinking about them. It is all really complex and beautiful. There's nothing wrong with any of these capacities. There's, to repeat, there's nothing wrong with this, with any of this. Uh, these are features of our minds, something that is remarkable in this universe. And because of these capacities that we have, these amazing capacities, this activity of returning the attention to something relatively simple can be very befuddling. You know, why would we do that? The mind, and our normal minds are, can be befuddled. And when we get a taste of peace, calmness, stability, clarity, it's a visceral thing, it's a tangible thing, um, you know, we can begin to get it. We can begin to understand, but um, it does take some ha take some practice. So there are a couple of ways. On a day like this, many of you will have noticed just how active your mind is. And uh, there are a couple of ways of several ways of practicing with thoughts that I'll talk about now. Um, the first is <clears throat> simply when we notice that the attention has wandered, we're daydreaming, planning, imagining, and so forth. Uh, just notice that and redirect the attention back to the neutral focus. So we just notice and gently, but definitely redirect the attention so we don't have to be forceful about it, just subtly redirecting. Another thing we can do is simply notice, oh, this is, these are thoughts, maybe a quiet label thinking or planning. It's almost like relaxing the thought formation in itself. So we do this without kind of setting up a fight 
with thoughts. Uh, we're doing an exploration of what might happen if we can keep the attention fairly well connected with something relatively neutral. But we don't need to, to fight so much as just be skillful, notice, come back when we notice, and so forth. And in practicing this, we definitely can get a taste of concentration, calmness, peace, clarity, stability. Uh, and as teachers, you know, one of our roles is to you know, be in contact with you if you feel like you need some fine-tuning in your way of working with that home base or that neutral focus. But uh, in, in my experience working with a lot of young people, uh, it's, it's really possible to get traction here. And especially being in an environment like this where there's so much support. And of course, one of the reasons for the silence, the seclusion, uh, the structure, is just to support this sort of amazing exploration of... of uh, Calmness, clarity. So there's also another way of uh, dealing with thoughts. And here we shift a little. Um, we can take an interest in the thoughts. And we can even feel into what is fueling the thoughts. And often there will be something that we can identify. It might be, for instance, physical pain in the body, fueling the thoughts. We don't have to be too precise to, yeah, that's what's fueling the thoughts, but just kind of survey the situation a little. Oh, yeah, I'm, my knee is hurting and I'm restless, and there are these thoughts. Um, so this taking an interest in what's happening, it's a little bit like uh, uh, what Tasha was talking about when we were uh, playing with the postures this afternoon. Um, there's a settling kind of enjoying the reality of gravity. If it is real, I read the other day, it might not be. But for now, we can assume it is. Um, some radical new physicist. You may have to update your... <laughs> okay, for now. So there's the settling using gravity, playing with it, and then there's the opening. And, you know, he described how we can play with that, with our posture, just settling, getting grounded, and then being uplifted and light. Um, and so the, what I've been talking about so far, concentration, calmness, is, is like settling. It is a settling of mind and heart. And we begin talking about opening. And uh, here, there are some really interesting ways of looking into our own experience that may be counterintuitive. Um, and so if we notice that, yeah, there is pain in the body, then um, an initial response in this environment can be simply to look into the pain. Just to, it's a reality, it's a phenomena. We are vulnerable to pain. And so it's an opportunity just to look into it. We're, we're not encouraging a sort of um, overindulgence in pain. And so there can be, obviously, a skillful adjusting of posture and, and so forth. Uh, but the truth is, we can practice mindfulness with pain. 
and indeed in the medical world it's uh you know one of the most amazing sorts of applications of of these very sorts of things that we're doing here uh, for people uh, who don't have much choice and, and maybe some of you don't have much choice chronic pain is part of your life and um, just briefly the, the way that we work with pain is um, or one way to work with pain in, in using mindfulness is first find a neutral or slightly pleasant focus the sort of thing we've been talking about get some stability, clarity, calmness. And then perhaps counterintuitively bring the attention right into the middle of the painful area. And simply notice what's happening there. Below the level of the concept of pain, so to speak. So I... Um, uh, talking with my mother a couple of years on the f ago on the phone and uh, she had sh shingles which is very painful and uh, so she was describing the pain and she said something like you know it's been I've had this pain for a week and it's you know it's really bad I don't like it and you know I could tell that the way she was thinking of the pain is you know, something, you know, like a raccoon, you know, sitting on her shoulder and she just wished it would go away. And that's not dumb. That by nature, you know, we're going to wish pain would go away. And of course, th that was not the time to lecture my mother this way. And I didn't. But um, um, if we actually look into the pain, bring our attention into the middle of it and notice what's actually happening, then we might learn some things. And one thing we can learn is that there are some ways of bringing attention into painful states that m make them more manageable. And uh, that even when we don't reduce the pain, we don't suffer as much. And this is a really interesting thing that I invite you to look into. Um, when we notice that we're daydreaming or thinking about something, worrying about something, it may be physical pain, but it also may be an emotion. And uh, it may be a difficult emotion and we do much the same thing with difficult emotions as we do with physical pain. Uh, we bring attention into the actual experience. And as with physical, as, as with the practice with pain, there's never an obligation to stay there. So skillfully withdrawing is part of working skillfully with difficult emotions. And so Going to the neutral is always an option. Coming back, seeing what's going on, opening to it a little bit. When we've had enough, when it seems smart, just to come back to the neutral. So we come back and forth that way. Um, and for some of us, the idea that we actually can feel emotions in our body is big news and somewhat surprising. Uh, with emotions, we can tend to stay at the level of the stories. And so um, this amazing capacity for thought that we have can be employed in response to an emotional state so that we keep ourselves fairly distant from the visceral, palpable, physical sensations that very often are an important part of an emotion.
And so in working with the difficult emotions, like fear, uh, irritation, frustration, anger, hatred, jealousy, and so forth, uh, what we do when we realize, yeah, that's happening for me, we notice it, and then we see if we can tune into the physical feel of it. The actual physical reverberation. And I'm kind of pointing here because it's often happening here in the torso, or it's fairly close, the throat, the shoulders, the heart area, the belly. Uh, and this is really hard to do because these sensations with the difficult emotions are, you know, tending towards the unpleasant. And one of the interesting things about difficult emotions is that it's easier for us to distract ourselves from the actual experience of them than it is with physical pain. The pain will reassert itself, will call us back. Whereas we can get really good at keeping ourselves distracted from the actual experience of sadness or irritation or frustration or anxiety. And so in practicing with these difficult states, we tend to give priority to the the physical reverberation And the reason we would do this, a very sensible question might be, you know, why bother? Uh, There are difficult states, all the better if I can distract myself and not really experience it insofar as it's not that pleasant. And there may be occasions where that is the right thing to do. But when we're practicing mindfulness of these states, we actually tune in and um, you know, I invite you and challenge you and dare you to find out the answer for yourself. Um, but, you know, what seems to happen is that the more we can tune in to what's actually happening, the more fully we can experience these states, even when they're difficult, the more freedom that we have in response to them. And so, insofar as these states are triggering some habits or some responses that we're kind of only dimly aware of, those responses may very well be contributing to suffering rather than happiness. So if we can bring attention in, then we have more of a chance of responding in a smart way. So I had an experience... um, This is a small example of this, Uh, but uh, I um, am working at UCLA now with Diana Winston, who some of you know, and uh, uh, it's really a dream come true in a way. We worked together for 20 years on teen retreats and and so forth, and and so it's, it's really great to be working with her, and we have a good friendship, and you know, we're trying to get some things done. And so there's, there are times where we're not in sync. So there was this one occasion where I, I really do not remember the, the issue, but I got triggered by something and I was upset. And, and then I was slightly doubly upset because it's Diana and we get along great and it's a dream come true. And, you know, and so... I'm in my car, driving, and I'm like vaguely, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, I'm upset. Just, I'm not raging, I'm not furious, I'm just kind of triggered. And in the back of my mind, there's this like, hey dude, you give talks about this. Uh, <laughs> And so that, that voice is like, oh, yeah, I could actually feel that here. So I was like, yeah, wow, that doesn't feel that great. It's, and so my attention went back to the thoughts, the story, 
And they were very constructive thoughts in, in a way. They were trying to figure out, you know, why did she say that? Or I don't even remember the details, but I was, you know, trying to work out the situation and concerned about doing the right thing. And why did she say that? And good Lord. And then, oh yeah, I could actually feel some sensations in my body. So I would go back in and feel. And then moments later, back in the thoughts. And the reason I'm telling this story is it happened several times. I'm still driving the car. And then, you know, come back. Oh, yeah, it's hard to do. It's hard to stay there. And this was minor. It wasn't that big a deal. I can't remember what it was. But I remember that there was one time where it's like my attention came back to the thoughts and suddenly they were fresh. They were creative. You know, it wasn't the same same old thoughts that had been playing a minute ago. They were like, oh, wait. Well, I could do this. And they were f creative. Uh, so that was a small example of the sort of thing I'm talking about that can be bigger. Uh, this was just eight or ten blocks. You know, and I actually had a good idea and solved the problem, I think. I don't remember. Yeah, so in the bigger picture, you know, uh, we're um, talking about freedom of heart. Just the, the capacity to be open to what's actually happening. Even when it's not pleasant. And uh, so when we practice loving kindness or metta, um, we're putting ourselves in a situation where, you know, we want to, to tap these qualities of kindness, appreciation, these natural capacities. And, you know, there are different ways of doing it, but we kind of tune into that reality one way or another, just the, someone we really appreciate or a place that we appreciate. We consciously turn our attention to that sort of theme. And, you know, we're not trying to fabricate, you know, a sense of feeling good or a sense of kindness. But sometimes just tuning in in that way definitely can open us to these emotions of kindness, appreciation, love, and so forth. <clears throat> and it's a, it's a great practice, just giving some time for it. And um, as you probably will notice sometime, you know, when we go into that territory, there will be times where we feel stuck, where there's resistance, where instead of feeling good, we we are opening to the more difficult. And that's a part of, of practicing these types of practices like kindness. And we also can teach practices about cultivating joy and gratitude, and forgiveness, compassion. And um, we... Um, expand our range. We open to these states that uh, are so normal. And here's where going deeper in our practice is really letting things be simpler. Just opening a little more fully. Uh, it's not an analysis or an evaluation. Um, so when we, you know, we sometimes talk blithely up here in a way about the difficulties and just going with the, you know, yeah, just, okay, you feel bad. 
okay, notice it, observe it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the reason we talk that way, and the reason you know this is really important is, and we can all taste this too for ourselves, is that if we can find the wherewithal to tune into the difficult states, then we, we gain capacity for, for dealing again with very normal human problems of suffering. To review some of the things we've talked about. Um, we're not teaching a sort of um, one-size-fits-all approach. Each of us has to use our own wisdom in each moment actually to make the connection either with the breath or with the sensations in the feet or with the physical sensations that are a part of an emotion that we're feeling. We have to fine-tune our own level of effort. Uh, there's some beautiful analogies for this. The Buddha gives tuning a guitar or um, uh, one I like uh, is uh, holding an egg. So we hold it. If we want to hold a raw egg, you know, we have to exert some effort. If the hand is too relaxed, it'll fall. We have to make some effort, but obviously not too much. So it's an exquisite. Well, holding eggs not that amazing, but <laughs> uh, actually finding the right amount of effort to do the, what we're doing here is amazing and exquisite. There's an exquisite sort of effort in connecting with our own experience in a skillful way and, and kind of allowing that flow between tuning into the neutral focus, sustaining the attention, putting effort into that on the one hand and simply opening to the feel of an emotion so we teach both. They're both important. And kind of getting the hang of it is, is something that we each do in real time. You know, and this space offers an amazing uh, environment for, for the exploring this. Uh, but this is an area where it's uh, <clears throat> important to see that we don't have to do anything perfectly. There is a method, there are methods to practice. It's hard work. And yet, this idea that we might bring that we need to do it perfectly, we need to get it figured out and then do it exactly right, I don't think it applies here. Um, and that's related to this idea that we're not performing. We're actually tuning into the reality of our, in, within our own experience. And these methods can be explored. So, yeah, we encourage that careful, sustained attention to the neutral. And for some of us here, you know, that will be an important part of the retreat. For others, it'll be much more important just to be open to an emotion that's wanting some attention. And again, as teachers, we're here um, to help fine tune that insofar as we can. Uh, but we often just by paying attention to our own experience, we find our way. It's quite interesting.
also don't have to rush. By the nature of the exploration we're on, it takes time. So the process of calming down takes some time. You get some traction, get some momentum. There is a buildup. Uh, but we don't do it all at once. So we don't have to be in a big hurry. Likewise, tuning into an emotion. You know, there can be that tendency to want to do it and get it over with. And when it's difficult, again, it's not dumb to think that, but it's not how it works. We tune in and we open to it and it can take some time. And we have some time here. So, concentration, settling, opening. And then, um, giving ourselves some room to notice what we really want. I had a student in a journal at the end of a semester a few years ago talking about you know what meditation meant to him and um, what he wrote was that where he had made a contribution in his life was that it allowed him to see more clearly what he wants in the big what what I want in the big picture is what he wrote allows me to see more clearly what I want in the big picture. And if we're practicing stability, clarity, calming, practicing opening even to difficult states, then we're going to be in a much better position to tune into to that reality also. And definitely, by definition, this is something that no one else can do for us. And I would say that uh, <clears throat> if we, you know, think about uh, what I can do to make a contribution in the world, You know, my guess it would be that if I can tune into what I want most deeply, in the big picture, then that's exactly what I should be doing to really make a contribution. And so as we share this space, respect the schedule, respect the precepts, kind of deal with all this structure that we're kind of holding together as a community, it really um, can be in the service of touching what, what we most want. So that we're not pretending or posing, performing some act acting out of that vibrant, passionate sense of, you know, what really matters to, to each of us.
So it's good to be here with you. Uh, let's sit for a few minutes in silence. So uh, it's time for a walk-in period. Please put your heart into it. And then we'll have a, another sit here at 8.45. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.